see everybody here in the house of the Lord this morning. It's a beautiful day. It's a good day to be here. And I'm glad we're all here. We, there's other places we could have been. We could have chosen to be somewhere other than God's house. But He puts a desire in our hearts to be here, doesn't He? And that's good. It's good to obey that, that, that desire and, and to follow Him. Before we go into the Word, let's uh, pray one more time. Father, thank You for allowing us to be here today. We thank You for allowing us to come and gather around as a body of believers. We can look into Your Word today. Father, we know that's only going to help us if the Holy Spirit moves among us as we look into it. We pray that He would open our hearts to receive the, the message from Your Word. You are its author. Father, You've protected the Scriptures for us now through the years, and uh, we have the privilege, an awesome privilege, of being able to, to look into a passage today and see what it has to say for us. And we pray that, Lord, You'd make these living words to us. And that, uh, Father, as we look here, as we spend this time together, that You might change us, make us uh, people who are more effective servants for You. We pray that You draw us closer to Yourself. We pray, Lord, if there happens to be someone here this morning who's never trusted Jesus Christ, that you might touch their heart. Bring them closer to you, Lord. Bring them to that point where they they see a need and and, uh, trust the Lord Jesus Christ as well. But as we look into your word, Father, we just pray that you bless this time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking in uh, 2 Chronicles. If you want to be turning there, chapter 7. I've titled the message, Solomon's Vision. We're going to read some uh, some verses here. the The setting is um, you may recall in Israel's history uh, they left uh, the, the Lord used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He led them into the land. Uh, they built a tabernacle, a place where God would meet with them, a, a tent essentially, a very glorified tent, um, and that's where they met, where the the visual presence of God would come. And he would dwell there um, between the cherubim on the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. And they knew that he was in their midst. And that's where they worshipped. And they worshipped at the uh, tabernacle for, for many, many years. Many generations. And then as um, at one point, uh, King David decided that God needed a more permanent house. He, he had in his mind to build a temple. And David, the Lord told David he couldn't build the temple. He said, your son can't. He can build it for me. And so we're coming to the point where we're going to be looking here. The temple's now been completed. And they're about to go through a dedication service to it. And Solomon is he's, he's looking to the Lord to bless that house of worship and let it would be a place where he, God would be pleased to come and dwell among His people and meet with His people there. And so we're going to see here uh, some, some of God's response to Solomon. He, had a, he gave, came to him in a vision. So we're going to start reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. Uh, actually, we'll start in verse 11. Forgive me. Verse 11 of 2 Chronicles 7. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house, and he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. This is important. God has chosen this place now. Solomon may have built it, but God chose it as the place he would come and meet with his people. Verse 13, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open. And mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. 
For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight, and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. Again, Solomon at this point is the king of a nation that had been set apart for God's glory. God had chosen these people for no other reason than he said, because. We had a, uh, an assistant pastor years ago and he said, he said uh, it's something like this, God says I love you. And if you ask him why, he says, because. Because I chose to love you. He chose these people. And he said, you're going to be my people. And, and so he brought them into this land that they didn't used to have. He said, I'm going to give you a land that you never knew, you never knew before. You never had it before. And I'm going to give you um, such blessings that you wouldn't believe it. Now, for some four to five hundred years, they've been living in the land of Canaan at this point. Generation after generation after generation of people have seen the Lord bless them. And Solomon is now their king. The third king of the nation, by the way. The first king was Saul. You'll remember. You'll remember. Here I go. I'm getting tongue-tied again. As I told you last week, that's just me talking in cursive. And it's very classy to do, so just bear with me. Uh, Solomon was their third king. After Saul, he didn't do so good. Everybody thought he was a, he was a great man who was going to be a great king. He turned out to be, let's just say he tended to want to worship himself more than he worshiped the Lord sometimes. He was very arrogant, and the Lord uh, took the kingdom away from him. And he, he gave the kingdom to David. And what do, we, what do we remember about David? He was said to have been a man after God's own heart. He was a godly king. He was a sinner, and he knew it. And when he sinned, we read through the Psalms, he would come to the Lord and he'd say, forgive me. I, I sinned against you, Lord, but I want your forgiveness. And so God said, he's a man after my own heart. After David came Solomon, his son. And Solomon was told, you can complete the temple. You can build it for me. David had, had compiled a whole lot of ingredients, if you will, all the building materials. And, and I'm sure he had uh, started working on some designs. Uh, Solomon, I think this is what this would be great if the temple looked like this. And and so Solomon got there. He was excited. And we're told that uh, for many years the temple was in planning and it took seven years to construct it. It's a long time. It's a big building project, isn't it? First Kings uh, 6.38, you don't have to turn here, it says in the 11th year, in the month bull, which is the 8th month, was the house finished throughout all the parts thereof and according to all the fashion of it. So was he seven years in building it. Very long. So there's been a lot of anticipation. Uh, not only with Solomon, but the people who would walk by the, the building site and they would see this is going to be the temple of God. This is where God's going to come and he, we're going to worship Him here. We're going to offer sacrifices here. And if anyone says, who is this God you're talking about? Where is He? He's here. He's here in this temple. 
So for seven years they've got this, they're looking forward to this. We're told that it took 70,000 general laborers to build the temple. It's a lot of people, isn't it? For seven years. 70,000 people. I've, got, I've seen some big projects before, but nothing like that. We're told that it took 80,000 stone cutters to build, to, to cut the stones and then bring them to the building site and put them together to, to make the temple. And then it took 3,600 foremen to, to, to see that all this work got done. Would you like to be that, one of those foremen? 70,000 general laborers and 80,000 stone cutters. You ever deal with with union laborers before? They can be a t- tough bunch sometimes. I've, I've been a supervisor over maintenance people. That's some of the toughest that I've ever seen. 80,000 member stonecutters union could be tough to deal with, couldn't they? But you know what? They were building something that was bigger than themselves. They weren't just building a house or a Walmart or any of that sort of thing. They're building the temple of God. And for seven years they did this. Second Chronicles 2 Chronicles 2.2 it tells us about those laborers. Solomon told... Uh, told out three score and ten thousand men to bear burdens, and four score thousand to hew in the mountain, three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. The temple when it was built, it was about ninety feet long, thirty feet wide, and about forty-five feet high. It's a pretty good sized building. And then everything was in place. We're told in Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse eleven. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and and all of his building projects. This, again, it was expected to be God's dwelling place. Can you imagine the anticipation as they're waiting for this? Uh, they had heard the stories of how when the, when the tabernacle was first constructed, how God's glory came down and it covered that tent to the point no one could get near it. They had heard those stories and now there's anticipation that God's going to dwell in this place among us. So then in verse 12, we're told about uh, God appearing... Uh, to Solomon in, in this dream and this vision. So the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, said unto him, I've heard thy prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself to be a house of sacrifice. So it was a visit from God himself to Solomon to confirm this. He confirmed not only that he was interested in this place, but he confirmed that he had accepted this place. Solomon, you, you put, you've gone to a lot of effort. What if God had said, I don't like it? It would have been disappointing, wouldn't it? No, he said, I, I accept it. Solomon, you've gone to this. The, your, your dad wanted to build this. Now you've wanted to build it. All of these laborers have put their hearts, their sweat into it. I'm choosing this place. I'll be here. Because let's face it, no matter how grand and magnificent it was, and we're told that those who saw it, the descriptions that they gave of it, it was a magnificent place. You remember this was a place that was, uh, it was built out of the labor... The cedars of Lebanon. I love the smell of cedar. Can you imagine what it smelled like with all that wood? And then they, they overlaid it with gold. Walls that were covered, plated with gold. The beauty of this place was incredible. But if God hadn't chosen it, and if God hadn't accepted it, it would just been any other piece of glitzy real estate, wouldn't it? But he did choose. He said, I, I accept this. But he said, I've got some expectations. Well, before I go there, he accepted it. Verse 15 and 16, he said, Now mine eyes have, have, uh, shall be open, my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and sanctified this house. I've set it apart. It's going to be a place for me. It's going to be a place of worship. That my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Those are good words for Solomon to know he's gone to this effort, God. 
God's accepted it, and He's going to be here with us, and this is where we can go meet with Him. But God had some expectations. Verses 17 and 18. He said, And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I've commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler of Israel. He said, If, if you'll walk before me, if you'll do according to the things I commanded you, if you'll observe my statutes, then I will give you these blessings. I will be a tent to this place. I'll establish your throne. And there will never be uh, another member of David's family that won't... Uh, there'll never be a time when someone in David's family won't sit on your throne. But you've got to follow me. That's a personal promise for Solomon and his family line, isn't it? But it's a requirement. You've got to obey. I'm not just going to give you this. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to allow you to to remain on the throne and to have someone on the throne and at generation after generation if you're going to be disobedient to me. It, uh, Solomon should have learned that lesson from King Saul. He disobeyed, and God removed the throne from him, didn't he? He said, I, I demand, I expect obedience, I expect faithfulness, and I expect you to follow your father's example. I referred to it a minute or so ago, Acts 13, verse 22, David was referred to as a man after God's own heart. He said, Solomon, that's what I want from you, and I want that from your children and your children's children. I want them to, to obey me. I want them to be a people after my heart. And the same requirement, by the way, would apply to all of the people of Israel, not just Solomon. He said, I want you all to obey me. That's why I want, I've chosen this place. I'm going to be among you. And you can come and worship me here. You can come and pray to me here. You can bring your sacrifices and I'll be here with you. So he had expectations. And then he gave warning uh, of judgment to come if they didn't obey those expectations. Look at verse 19. He said, But if you, or ye, that is you people, turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them, that is Israel, not just Solomon, I will pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it. So that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. He says, There's judgment coming if you fail to obey me. If you go after the other gods in the land, I'm not going to look kindly on that because God says, I will not share my glory. He never will. And so he gives these very stern warnings. He said very specific activities. He didn't just say, if you people, if you turn out to be bad seed, if you turn out to be sinners, then I'm going to, I'm going to turn my back on you. No, he got very specific here. He said, if you turn away from me, that's a very specific sin, isn't it? It's not the same as stealing a pack of gum. It's if you turn away from me. And then he says, if you forsake my statutes and my commandments. This isn't talking about if you slip up every now and then. It says if you forsake my word, if you completely turn away from it. And then he says, if you worship and serve other gods, I won't tolerate that. 
He says, if you do that, then he gives some action words that are going to take place. If you do this, if you turn away from me, if you forsake my commandments, if you worship and serve other gods, then you're going to be plucked out of the land. That's a very descriptive term, isn't it? He didn't say, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to move you out of the way. He said, I'm going to pluck you out of this land. And I'm going to put you someplace else. That's a kind of a scary term, isn't it? Very, very stern words. He says, and the temple will be cast out of my sight. I won't, I won't have this temple. No longer, it won't just be that I, I've, I choose not to be here anymore. I'll get this temple out of my sight. Those are very stern warnings. And he says, everybody who passes by, if that happens, they're going to see the destruction. They're going to see that you've been plucked out of this land. They're going to say, why in the world did God do that after He led them here? After He gave them this land for all these hundreds of years. And the answer will be because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They brought it on themselves. It won't be because God got angry. It won't be because He had a whim. It will be because they forsook the God of their fathers. So it's very stern warnings. And so we start out with God appearing and He said, I accept this place and I will accept your worship. But I expect you to obey me. I expect you to worship me. I expect you to continue to be my people. And if you don't, there are going to be some very stern judgment that comes your way. But He didn't leave it there. He provided a remedy. Look at verse 13. He said, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people... If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin will heal their land. God says, if you turn your back on me, I'm not going to just suddenly pluck you out of the land. I'm going to send some things to remind you of who I am and who you are. Things that should humble you. I may send... uh, I may shut up the heavens so that it doesn't rain. Your crops will start to fail. I may send locusts to devour your crops so that you lose them. Or I may send pestilence, disease, sickness among you as a judgment just to remind you that you need to be serving me. And if I do that, and if the people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and if they'll pray to me again, if they'll seek my face and not the other gods around, what did he say? And if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. So he offered a merciful deliverance, didn't he? He had, he had, he had told them, or he told them in a, a few verses later, if, if you go too far, there's going to be very stern judgment. If you truly turn away from me and you refuse to come back, there's going to be some very stern judgment. But here he's offering merciful deliverance. He said, I may send the drought, I may send the locusts, but if you'll turn back to me when I do that, all will be well again. I will heal your land. I'll, I'll send you the rain you need. I'll take away the locusts. I'll take away the disease, the pestilence, the things that are that are destroying you from within. He says, I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin. Is that not the best news you could ever hear? I'll forgive your sin. And I'll heal, heal your land. And by extension, if that happens, he's saying the judgments that you see there in verses 19 and following, they won't ever come. You may wander away from me, is what he's saying. You may sin. Sin may come into your life. You may stumble across some tendency to, to admire the, the, the worship of other gods and that sort of thing. But if you'll come back to me, I'll heal your land. I'll forgive you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that what he told each one of us? You know what? You, you're, you're on the road. You're, you're lost. You need to be saved. But if you'll come to me, 
If you'll humble yourselves and you'll submit yourselves to me, I'll save you. I'll heal your land. I'll, I'll give you uh, the blessings that I promised you. Well, what was Israel's response to, to the warnings that the Lord gave to Solomon? Well, they, they, they followed his instructions. They obeyed it for a while. They obeyed it for a few years, maybe a generation or two. Maybe not quite that long because we see that they began to go astray even, even after Solomon's death. The kingdom was split. Ten of, the kingdom, ten of the tribes of Israel, after Solomon's death, went on and, and started their own nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. Only left two nations left in Judah. They even went, uh, the, the ten northern tribes, they even created their own temple where they could worship. After God telling Solomon, I will let this be the place where I meet with you, they turned away from it. They only obeyed him for a while. Ultimately, they fell into idolatry, didn't they? They went after the gods of the Canaanites, and they worshipped them. God had told them when they came into the land, He said, when you get into this land, you're going to go in where they're worshipping false gods. And He gave them really two instructions. He said, first, do not worship those gods. But if you look closely, He also said, do not worship me the way they worship their gods. Some of these people would actually, they would actually sacrifice their children to some of these false gods. And apparently, some of the, the Israeli or the Jew, Jewish people, the Israelites, apparently they t- started taking on some of those kind of practices themselves and thinking that it would honor the Lord if they would sacrifice a child. God says, no, 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 no. You can't worship them and you can't worship me the way they do. But they ultimately fell into that idolatry. They turned away from God and they did face all of those judgments. That he had, that he had brought on to them. It's a very sad ending. If you turn, you sit. You're in Second Chronicles. Turn over to chapter 36, the last chapter of Second Chronicles. We'll read what the results of some of these are. We're going to start in verse 14 of Second Chronicles 36. It says, "Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen." and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words, misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age, he gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and of his princes, all these he brought up to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, and break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that escaped from the sword carried away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. It's a sad end, isn't it? They fell. They went into idolatry. God had warned them. And he said, if you start going there, I'll send drought. I will send the locusts. I will send the pestilence. And I have no doubt he did. He did that for generations. Because this is several hundred years later at this point. He, he was long-suffering with these people. He sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. And they didn't listen to him. And so we reach that point where the, the people are taken from their land 
and their temple was destroyed, just like God said that that would be there in Second Chronicles 7. They disobeyed God until we see there in verse 16 of Second Chronicles 36, the very end of it, till there was no remedy. God said there's no remedy anymore. I've given you centuries to, to repent and come back to me, and you don't. You didn't do it, and so now they lost their land. They've been uh, the ones who weren't killed outright. They were carried away captive to live in Babylon. The temple was destroyed. That 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 beautiful temple where God had had met with them for so long, it's gone now. And so it is a byword. Aren't those the, the, some of the most chilling words you have ever read? Though they sinned till there was no remedy. Now the story doesn't end there. We know that after 70 years of captivity, God did allow people to come back into Jerusalem because He is a merciful God. He brought the judgment that He said He would bring on them. And they spent that 70 years captivity. History tells us that. Scripture tells us that. And then they were able to come back. And they were able to rebuild. And they did rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. It wasn't wasn't as beautiful uh, as it was when uh, Solomon's temple was. But the Lord said, I'm going to let you come back. And you know what else history tells us? It tells us that when they came back from Babylonian captivity, the nation of Israel never again had a problem with idolatry. They had learned their lesson. You know, sometimes God can bring us to a point where there's no remedy. And we learn our lessons at that point, don't we? And so that's what, well, that's what happened there. This is, this is a, it's a chilling story of what happened to one nation. A nation that had been set apart from God, for God's glory. In a couple of days, we celebrate the independence of the United States. And we can't help but see the parallels there. This was a nation that was set apart for God's glory, wasn't it? It was established for the glory of our God. People left Europe where uh, they didn't, uh, they had persecution for their faith. Christian, supposedly Christian nations in Europe were persecuting people for the way they chose to, to worship the Lord. And there wasn't anything weird about their, their worship. They simply wanted to to preach and teach and believe the scriptures as they're written and not have some king or some government uh, officials telling them, well, you can't do it that way. You have to do it our way. You have to do this, 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 and this, That things that weren't included in scripture at all. They just wanted to worship God. And so they came here and they set up colonies. They set up little villages. And then they became towns and larger towns and cities. And they became colonies set apart for the glory of God, to worship the Lord here. Schools were established. That What, what was their purpose? You remember the, the history of the early schools? They were taught to, to teach people how to read the Scriptures. The, the Bible was their textbook. The first universities in this country were set up to train, 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 train pastors, preachers, to carry the Gospel even further. Come a long way since that, haven't we? Those early colleges, by the way, those early universities, they're not dedicated to to training pastors anymore. They're dedicated to a lot uh, a lot of things other than that. But for many, many generations, the Lord accepted the worship of this place, didn't He? He accepted this nation, and He made this a great nation. From 13 fledgling colonies that uh, just declared their independence from the British crown to, to what we have become. God blessed this land a great deal, didn't He? But as a nation, would you agree with me that we failed to follow his statutes and commandments, we turned away from him, haven't we? In this nation far too often. And you know, this nation at one time, even our leaders were Christian people. 
and they held Christian beliefs. I want to read you some, so just a few quotes. Thomas Jefferson said this once, Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we've removed the convictions that these liberties are the gift of God? We have to remember the liberties we have are a gift of God. We have to fight for those, don't we? John Quincy Adams said, The first and almost the only book deserving of universal attention is the Bible. I agree with him. He was a godly man. Abraham Lincoln said, All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through this book. But for the book we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. I agree with that statement. Woodrow Wilson said this, The Bible is the one supreme source of revelation of the meaning of life, the nature of God, and the spiritual nature and need of men. It's the only guide of life which really leads the Spirit in the way of peace and salvation. These are presidents of the United States. Uh, Andrew Jackson said, Go to the Scriptures. The joyful promises it contains will be a balsam to all your troubles. Calvin Coolidge said, The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Well, I can tell you something. The faith in these teachings has, in our country has ceased to, uh, to be practically universal here, hasn't it? We've got people that are, that are practicing all kinds of things other than worship of the true and living God in this country, don't we? We've got churches that have left that first love in this country and they still want to call themselves churches. I think God has, because of our failure, I think He has brought judgment on us. We, don't, we no longer hold the high moral ground in the world like we used to. The influence of the United States is nearly what it used to be. I think the loss of godliness has, law, has resulted in a loss of our world influence. There's a whole lot of people in the world who hate the United States. They really do. They hate what we stand for now. I'm told that uh, in the mid-90s, somewhere around 1995, the United States lost its position of sending more missionaries to the rest of the world than other countries. There became to be other countries that sent more missionaries than we did. That's a sad state, isn't it? Influential Christians, we hear about them in the news. They're engaged in scandalous activities, sometimes illegal activities. It's a blight on, on the, the Christianity, isn't it? Christians are no longer, or let me say, Christians are no longer faithful to the Lord in some cases. How many of you passed other churches on the way to get here this morning? And you see... Uh, parking lots that might hold 200 cars and there's six or eight in the in the parking lot. People aren't going to church like they used to be. They don't have, they've got other things they want to do. So even people who name the name of Christ, they're no longer as faithful as they used to be. Our country is filled with drug abuse and uh, crime of, of every kind. Um, divorce rates skyrocket. Uh, teen pregnancy, abortion is kind of on the wane now, hopefully due to some government intervention, but it's still there. We've got people who, uh, they go after all kinds of crime in this country, and they, they don't see anything wrong with it. And if you try to tell them, the Bible says this is wrong, what do you hear often? Well, that's your truth. My truth is something different. I'm here to tell you, truth is truth, and it doesn't change. You, you, the truth never changes. Two plus two will always equal four, regardless of what some people might want to tell you, Right? There's idol worship here. The Lord told the Jews, do not go after false gods. Do not worship the gods of the people in the land I'm taking you to. I can't help but see a parallel there. 
because we live in a day. Do you remember the people who lived in this country before the European settlers got here? Do you remember what they worshipped? They worshipped nature. They worshipped the tree spirits and the animal spirits and things of that nature. Do you realize how much of that goes on in the United States today? People have gone back to worshipping the way that the Native Americans worship. They worship the environment. The earth is so important and we might hurt it if we do this or that. I'm telling you this. The Lord says this world will be here until judgment comes. We're not going to destroy this planet. He is at the last day. We don't have to worry about that. And we think, oh, well, you know, they, the Native Americans, they worshiped animal spirits. Don't we do the same? Have you watched TV lately? Have you looked at insurance policies? People can get insurance, dental insurance for their dogs. We're worshiping animals in this country now. Isn't that sad? But we don't call it that. Well, we call it, we hear just insane things like, oh, animals are human, or animals are people too. What? What are you talking about? We've reached this place in this country where we've left the love of our God. Not us, but by and large. We left uh, years ago the ability to say that the United States is a Christian nation, by and large, haven't we? Because it's, it's being taken over by other things. Thomas Jefferson said this too. He said, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. That's scary words. That's, that's about as chilling as those words in Second Chronicles that said they sinned until there was no remedy. Thomas Jefferson said, God's justice will not sleep forever. And I think we've already started to see it. But I want you to remember, I won't leave you with that, but you remember that Second Chronicles 7.22 or Second Chronicles, uh, God still gives us a, a, a remedy in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Return to God is possible. A revival of the Christian religion in this country is still possible because there are. I think it applies to us just as well as it did to the Israelites. Why do I say that? Because we are God's people too. We are the ones He has chosen. And just like He chose the people of Israel, remember what His reason was, I choose you because I choose you, because I want to. That's the reason He chose every one of us. If if you're a born-again believer, it's because God chose you and He drew you to Himself. And He said, I'm choosing to love you. And it wasn't because... It wasn't because we were the best. It wasn't necessarily because we were the brightest. Because some of us can't lay claim to that, surely. We weren't necessarily the prettiest, most attractive. He chose us simply because He chose us. And He said, I'm going to love you, and you're going to be my people. But I don't want you to turn away from me. I don't want you to worship other gods. I don't want you to turn away from my statutes. I want you to continue to worship me. And He says, now, even if you've gone away, if you'll humble yourselves, and if you'll pray, and if you'll seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways, then I'll come. I'll hear you, and I'll I'll heal your land. Wouldn't that be great to see the Lord start to heal this land again? How is it possible? By humility, by prayer, by we who are called by the name of Jesus Christ to seek His face. So who's got to do it? It's got to be us. 
We can't rely on other people to call on God. They're not going to do it. It has to be us. We're the ones to do it. And, and I believe that a return to the Lord can happen if we'll do that, if we'll dedicate ourselves. In this congregation and other congregations like this one, if we will turn back to the Lord, He will heal this land. He will, he will bring a revival to us of, of the Christian religion of our faith. And we can see this land become uh, great again if that's, if that's His will. But we've got to take that, that initiative. We've got to turn back to it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for allowing us to look into Your Word this morning. We thank You, Father, that, that we live in the United States of America, arguably one of the greatest nations that has ever existed. Father, we believe this nation was great because this nation was good, because this nation sought after the things of God. Its founders uh, chose to serve You and to establish... Uh, communities to establish governments that were based upon your word and upon your the worship of the one true God. Father, we've seen in recent generations we've seen people leave that that first love. They've they've left the worship of the one true God. We've seen people wander off and worship things that that have no value at all, things that are not gods. And we pray that you might turn us, Lord. You've sent things to remind us, as you did the the, the Jewish people of old. You have sent pestilence among us. You have withheld the rain from us. You have uh, allowed, as it were, the locusts to destroy our crops. You've sent time and time again uh, things to grab our attention. You've sent prophets to us, preachers among us, to remind us to draw us back to you. And yet, Lord, many in this country, uh, they, they refuse to turn to you. They refuse, some who have left the faith, they refuse to turn back to it. They refuse to humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways. But Lord, don't let that be us. I pray that You would help us, Father, to, to seek after You, to seek in Your Word the things we need to, to read, the things we need to study and learn so that we could draw closer to You. Father, we are so thankful that we have that promise that if we'll do that, if we'll turn back to You, You'll heal our land. You'll hear us from heaven. You'll forgive us our sin. Father, I ask again, uh, today, that uh, if there's anyone here in this place who's never trusted Christ as Savior, that they'd come to that place where they would yield to Him, that they would uh, turn from their wicked way, that they would turn to You and simply uh, ask uh, to be saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, You've told us in Your Word, You won't turn anyone away who does that. And so we pray that You might move that in that way among this congregation as well. Uh, as we go our separate ways today, Father, we pray that You go with us, protect us, Allow us to continue to honor you as best we can, Father. We love you. And we want to show that in, in our obedience in our lives day by day. So we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your psalm book and turn to page 243. 243. Let's stand and sing the first two verses of Rock of Ages, 243. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee.
at liberty.